Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 7, where we started this morning, Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to go ahead and read this passage while you're turning there, Isaiah 7, verse number 1. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, or Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reason the king of Syria and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Joshub, thy son, at the end of the uh, conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and of the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within threescore and five years, sixty-five years, shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. That's a message right there in verse 9. If ye shall not believe, if you will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it, in either, ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? And verse 14 is where we usually go in this time of year. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. We're quick to quote Isaiah 7.14 during the holiday, but most of us don't really understand the context surrounding that prophecy. You have, um, you have this wicked, wicked king Ahaz. And we talked about that this morning, 2 Kings 13. Wicked, vile man. And he's the king now. He's, it's interesting. His father and grandfather were both relatively good kings and godly men, but not Ahaz. Not Ahaz. Uh, in fact, his successor, Hezekiah, great king, but not Ahaz. Um, but Ahaz now finds himself at a critical juncture. The northern kingdom of Israel has joined forces with Syria, and they're going to try and oust him, replace him with, replace him with a puppet king of their choosing. And he makes all kinds of mistakes in dealing with this problem, which should not be surprising. And Isaiah, in his talk with Ahaz, gives a prophecy, utters a prophecy that would be fulfilled 750 years later in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we took from that this morning some principles from the prophecy. Some principles from the prophecy. What were they? First of all, you reap what you sow. Ahaz is dealing with the results of his decisions. You reap what you sow. Number two, God extends grace to the undeserving. And that would be all of us, wouldn't it? That would be all of us. Nobody deserves grace, otherwise it wouldn't be grace. None of us merit it. None of us should get it. But aren't you glad that uh, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ahaz didn't deserve any help. And yet God sent Isaiah with a message. He extended grace to the undeserving. Uh, the third truth, a principle, is God insists that we trust him. 
All God wanted Ahaz to do was trust him, prove him, show him to be the God that he is. But he refused to do so. And then when we get to verse 14, what do we take away from that? All we need is Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. If you would go to heaven, you won't go to heaven with good works or church membership or baptism or anything else. You will go to heaven with or without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that's it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But now we find our way back to verse number three. Now, let me give you a little bit of a a little bit of a caveat emptor, maybe. Scripture only has one interpretation, but it can have more than one application. And when you're dealing with the Old Testament, you especially have to be careful about this. It's so easy to what's called spiritualized passages. For instance, I heard a guy wax eloquent on a certain, a certain fixture within the tabernacle and what it, what it stood for. And there were things in the tabernacle that were types and pictures. of other, We understand that. But, but sometimes a nail is just a nail. Sometimes a nail is just a nail. And I want to be really careful about how we approach this verse 3 because I, I want to rightly divide the word of truth. That's always my goal. And I don't want to over-spiritualize anything. But have you ever read a passage and there were just too many things going on in that passage for it to be a coincidence, for a nail to just be a nail? And I believe that's what we have in verse number 3. I believe that's what we have in verse number 3. They say that in real estate, the three most important aspects of real estate is what? Location, location, location. Well, I think there's something to be said here for the location that we have in verse number 3. That God instructed Isaiah to have Ahaz meet him at the exact point that he did because there were lessons that need to be learned. Ahaz had some lessons that needed to be learned, and by extension and by application, we have some lessons that we need to learn. And so tonight, if the Lord will help me, this wouldn't happen if I had a clicker person. I want to speak to you on lessons in the location. Lessons in the location. Father, would you help me? Lord, you know my heart. I, there's nothing in me that wants to pull something out of this text that didn't hear. I believe there's something here. So Holy Spirit, shut my mouth if I shouldn't say something, and open it wider if I should. And God, take control of this message, and speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's look at it, verse number 3, chapter 7, verse number 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller's field. He gives Isaiah a very specific location at which to meet Ahaz. First of all, there's a lesson regarding God's command. 
Notice what it says. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz. Who initiated this meeting? God did. Who set it up? God did. And he used Isaiah. Never forget who it was that sought you out in the matter of your salvation and in the matter of your continuing sanctification. I've heard people say this, and I know what they mean. I tell you, preacher, I got to the end of my rope, and that's where I found the Lord. Friend, you didn't find him. He's there waiting on you. He was there waiting on you. I can prove it. It started all the way back in Genesis when man first fell out of fellowship with God. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Who's looking for who? You see, man has, since the fall, man has been trying collectively and federally to get away from God. But it's God who's been pursuing man. Romans 3 verse 10, as is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. I'm sorry, how many seek after God? None. Why did Jesus say he came in Luke chapter 19? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't know what Ahaz was looking for that day. He was looking for an answer. He was looking for a way out. He was looking for an idea, but he wasn't looking for God. So God told Isaiah, you go get Ahaz. Aren't you glad that somebody somewhere listened to God's call when he said, go give them the gospel? Go get them. I want them. Hmm? Aren't you glad that when you tried to get away from God, he just wouldn't let you. The first lesson is a lesson regarding God's command. And then secondly, by way of application, I believe there's a lesson here regarding our choice. Regarding our choice. Now, this is where we start getting to where we're digging pretty, pretty deep here. But I believe I'm on good ground here, otherwise I wouldn't bring it. Okay. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou, and cheer Joshub, thy son. Go get him, and take your son with you. Why? On those occasions that I take one or both of my kids with me somewhere, there's always a reason. It could be that I, I want to spend some time with my kids. I want to minister alongside of them. By the way, parents, that's an excellent thing to do, an excellent way to use your time. Minister, serve the Lord with your children, not without them, not in spite of them. With them. You got a visit you want to go make to encourage somebody? Why wouldn't you take your kid? You'd be amazed what kids can do. 
My, my kids, Claire, when she was younger, I don't even know if she remembers this or not, but when she was younger, I used to take her with me door knocking. Because people that would normally slam a door in my face, they won't slam a door in a little kid's face. You used your kids. Absolutely. For God's glory, I did. There's a reason. There's a reason here, too. Now, this is what I call sanctified speculation. But I think I know why. You see, back then, what people named their kids had a lot of import. We, we put a lot of thought into what we named Asher. His first name is John. He's named after me and named after my father. John means gift from God. So aptly named all three of us. My father, me, and Asher. All three, a gift from God. By the way, Andrew means strong and manly. So my parents nailed it. Strong and manly, gift from God. Asher's name is Hebrew. It means blessed. Not for nothing, Asher is one of the richer tribes too, so if that kicks in, that'd be all right as well. (laughs) Names mean something. And what somebody was named said a lot about them, or it said a lot about their situation. Do you remember when the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines? What was that baby name that was born? I forget if it was Hophni or Phineas's child. But what was the name of that baby? Ichabod. What's Ichabod mean? The glory of God's departed. So somebody's name, especially back then, meant something. What does Jesus' name mean? Jehovah is salvation. By the way, if you carry the name Joshua today, you got the same name. That's pretty good. That's right, Turner. Your dad's got that name. That spoke to him. Yes, sir. I like it. So what's Isaiah's son's name, Shear Joshua, mean? You ready? It means a remnant shall return. Now, there's two ways of looking at that, and I think both are correct. The first is a physical and historical meaning that there would be a remnant that would return. But many times in Scripture, a remnant is not meaning a physical group of people as far as rebuilding a nation. It's a spiritual remnant. And while Ahaz could not be part of the physical remnant, because that would happen long after he had died, he did have a choice. You say, but he was wicked. You told us about all the things he did. Can I give you another name? Manasseh. Manasseh, just as wicked. Did he repent? It appears so. It appears so. Nineveh, wicked people, vile people. And yet when Jonah went and preached, what did they do? They repented. Did Ahaz still have a choice here? I believe he did. And I believe if nothing else, the presence of Isaiah's son and the very meaning of his name was was, was to say this, Ahaz, you have a choice right now. The vast majority of this country is doing wrong. And by the way, a lot of that's due to your leadership, Ahaz. The vast majority of these people are doing wrong. But Ahaz, you don't have to. 
If you so choose, you can be part of the remnant. Right now, every one of us that names the name of Christ in this sin-sick world, we have a choice before us. Are we going to be the majority in this world from this point on? I don't believe so. I still believe there can be revivals. I still believe God will move if we, if we, you know, if we follow the prescription to see it. But the reality of it is, as we get closer to Jesus coming back, we get more and more in the minority. We are more and more the remnant. Right now, you have a choice. And it's not a choice you make one time. It's a choice every time you pick up your phone. It's a choice every time you turn on the TV. It's a choice every time you have a conversation. It's a choice every time you go to work. It's a choice every time you, go to, uh, you, you, you get up and, and go about your day. Right now, I'm going to choose, with God's help, I'm either going to be a part of the world or a part of the remnant. Which is it going to be? Ahaz, God's about to do something wonderful for you, but my son would like to remind you, you're either going to be part of the remnant or you're going to be part of the world. Which is it going to be? There's a choice. We all have it. So we see that there's a lesson about God's command. There's a lesson about our choice. Then number three, there's a lesson about communion. Now, I don't mean taking of the Lord's Supper. I mean the communion that Christians ought to be enjoying with their Savior. You ought to be close to God, shouldn't you? What, what, is, what, is, what is the picture that we see here on earth that pictures the relationship between Christ and, dare we say, his bride? Marriage, right? What would you think of a marriage in which the husband and wife just really weren't that close? Yeah, we're married. I'm satisfied to be there. I really like my husband. I really like my wife, but yeah, we're not that close. Something's wrong there, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Man, I sure do like what Jesus does, but if I'm honest with you, we're not that close. That's, that's, that's foolish, isn't it? That's absurd. But that's where a lot of Christians are. A lot of Christians forgot that you're married to him. As far as you know, you're just dating him. Trying him out. If you can stay in that, that situation, I'd wonder if you're saved to begin with. A communion that exists, or should Now, this is where we get really under the potatoes, okay? Look what he says. Then saith the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz. He says something about a command. Thou and Shear Joshub thy son. He says something there about a choice. But now he says something about a communion. At the end of... Of the conduit of the upper pool. Father, this is without question the most difficult part of this message. Help me to handle it right, I pray. I want to try to build a progression for you to follow. First of all, conduit. What's a conduit? It was an aqueduct. Now, Hezekiah perfected this. 
But already they're putting together something to help them as they're besieged. Because the first thing, when you're being besieged, the first thing that the enemy is going to try to do is cut off your water supply. And so what they would want to do is find a spring inside the city walls, build an aqueduct that feeds the whole city and, and that, the, that the, uh, the enemy cannot get to. And that's what he's talking about here, this conduit, this, this aqueduct. This particular one seems to have run over to the west side of the city. And there's a lot to get into there. I'm not for time's sake. But he says to get to the upper pool at the western end, the upper pool. Now the word pool is interesting. Its root word means to kneel, to worship, or to bless. Now if you come to a pool, what collects in a pool, ideally? Water, right? Now, if you don't take care of your pool, all kinds of stuff collects there. But if you take care of it, it should be clean water. Now, what is water a picture of in the Bible? Don't answer yet. Let me read you some scripture. John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks, I'm talking to the woman, it's the well, and the Samaritan woman of the well. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Then in John chapter 7, to make it more clear about which or whom Jesus is speaking, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. Now, we've talked about this before. This particular feast, they have poured millions of gallons of water out. Jesus, as he stands, is likely ankle deep in water. Okay? John chapter 7. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this spake he of the what? The Spirit. Capital S. The Holy Spirit. Which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So what ultimately resides in a Christian that water that replenishes our strength and gives us what we need. What is it? The Holy Spirit of God. So what do you have in this pool? You have water. And water being a picture of the Holy Spirit. Andy, I'm not, I'm not buying into this quite yet. All right, there's another word we need to study here. And that's the word upper. The upper pool. As opposed to the lower pool. Well, I don't know if there's anything theologically significant to that. I wouldn't have thought so either. Except, by my count, the word behind upper is used 53 times in the Old Testament. And of that 53 times, the majority of the time, it's not translated upper. Now, this is fascinating to me. Do you know how it's translated? 28 times out of 53, it's translated 
Most High. Proper name, not, not, not describing something. 28 times out of 53, it is speaking of God calling him the Most High. All right, so Andy, what in the world are you trying to say here? You have spiritualized this thing ad nauseum. Here's what I think is going on right here at this upper pool. I think what we've got here is a foreshadowing of the communion and worship that should exist between a Christian and their Most High God. Through what? The Spirit. Water. John 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Again, let me hasten to say, this is not the direct interpretation of this passage. And it it does not appear that Ahaz picked up on any of this. But there's too much going on here for me to believe it's an accident. God has been sending messages to New Testament Christians since Genesis 1-1. And I think he's done so here. So we've got a message A lesson about his command, a lesson about our choice, a lesson about communion. Then finally, a lesson about our character. We finish the verse. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz. That's his command. Then he talks about a choice. uh, Thou and Shear Joshua, thy son. Then he talks about communion at the end of the conduit of the upper pool. Then he says, in the highway of the fuller's field. Do you know why a highway is called a highway? A highway in in biblical understanding was a road that was built up above the normal ground for the purpose of keeping you cleaner and more easily to travel. It was a way... You ready for this? That was high. Because if you're just traipsing through a field, you're going to get muddy. The wheels of your cart are going to get down into the mud. But if you're up on the highway, you can travel better. And we've been called it a highway ever since. This particular highway ran past a fuller's field. Now, when you walk past a fuller's field, what you have is people out there doing laundry. They're using water that's coming off of that aqueduct, and they're cleaning. But then what they would do is they would beat it against rocks, and they would lay things out in the sun for the purpose of bleaching them. Now, you did have chemicals that would do that as well, but most people couldn't afford that kind of thing. So I'm just going to put it in the sun. The sun has a bleaching effect. It's interesting. If you go into my study, I used to have many of those books at home next to a window, and I wasn't paying close attention, and the spines of those books are faded and, and, and lighter in color than the rest of it. What happened? The sun bleached them. Not good for your books, by the way. Don't do that. They're now in a windowless room, mostly in the dark when I'm not here. So, good. 
So this is the fuller's field. So what are fullers doing? They're getting things clean. They're getting things spotless or doing their best. Now this particular highway ran alongside a valley. A valley that you've heard the name of before. A trash heap called the Valley of Hinnom. So what do you got? You got people doing their best to keep their garments clean amidst a trash heap. What are we Christians doing? We're doing our best to keep our garments clean amidst the trash heap of the world's philosophy. That's what we're doing. And I don't know if I make that connection. Well, James one twenty seven, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself what? Unspotted from the world. Now, we understand that when you're saved, you are positionally justified. Positionally, you are as clean as you're ever going to be. God looks at you, and he sees the righteousness of his son, which is without spot, without blemish, and we thank God for that. But we're talking about practically. I may be positionally righteous, but am I always practically righteous? No. That's what Jesus was talking about when he was washing the disciples' feet. Jesus there girds a towel around him and begins to wash feet. And John 13, verse 8, Peter saith to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed, meaning saved, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. What is Jesus saying? If you're washed, if you're saved, all you need to do now is make sure practically that you're cleaning up when you get spotted by this world. That's what he's teaching. Okay? You don't have to keep getting saved over and over again. Once you're truly saved, you're always saved. Isn't that good? So if anybody could lose their salvation, it'd be me. I'd have lost it a hundred times over. I was talking to somebody the other day. If there's anybody that could get to heaven and mess things up, it'd be me. I'm glad I can't. Glad nobody can. So how do we do that? Do we confess our sins? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just like that fuller on that highway... Do we have the character to do all we can with the help of God to maintain cleanliness amidst all the trash that this world has to offer? But here's what happens, Christian. We stop being vigilant, and we take on a spot here and a spot there. And before long, we're in the trash heap, still saved but we look and act and speak and even think just like the world. God forbid what we should be doing if we confess our sins. Whap! He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us. Get it against that rock. Get that stuff out of it. Get it back in the water and rinse it. Lay it out in the presence of what? The Son. Mm. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, what's the so what? I don't have a so what slide tonight. But what do we do with this? We'll see a lot of the prophecies this time of year, and that's good. We should. But I hope if we've done nothing else this morning and tonight, we've got a good reminder. Whenever you read something like Isaiah 7, 14, whenever you read anything in this book, always remember there's more. And there's more for you and for me. And don't give up digging until you've got everything God has for you. Well, I'll be digging the rest of my life. That's the point. That's the point. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word.